0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we have a nuanced discussion about the art of the never-meant-to-be action sequel, Sicario, Day of the Soldado, along with the review, of course. We also take a look at IT on HBO Now, um, so you should check that out if you haven't, because it's free if you've got HBO, or 15 bucks a month if you don't. Uh, we also have a talk about trailer fatigue in our Death of Cinema segment. first, the news Indiana Jones 5 will be missing its 2020 release date. This is an article out of Variety citing uh, pushback production schedule is the reason why. Apparently, some folks aren't pleased with the state of the script. I know Jonathan Kazdan's uh, d- d- supposed to be writing it, and and he's replacing somebody else.
1: And Andy, can you give me the details on this? Um, so they were supposed to start production this April uh, 2019, and the script isn't ready or it's going through... Th- too many changes um and it's not going to be ready in time um and so that's going to push things back too much and it's going to run into production con- schedule conflicts with spielberg's next film which is going to be the it's going to say west west side story <laughs> <laughs> remake right
0: spielberg is working on the west side story remake which is almost its own story it's west side story it's weird um that spielberg and harrison ford are still attached to this Honestly, I'm shocked they haven't. I mean, Spielberg, I guess less so. It was always kind of his pet project. But for Harrison Ford, like, genuinely surprised he's still he's still into it.
1: I mean, he's he's getting up. I'm just worried that he's not going to be around to finish it. Yeah, like he's getting up there. Sure. And I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Even Crystal Skull, I rewatched it a couple years ago, and it's really not as bad as I remembered it. So I'm a huge fan of the series, and I hope they get around to making the next installment.
0: I think this one's got to be the I mean, if the last one wasn't, this has to be the Pass the Torch film. Right. It has to be his either, last outing as Jones.
1: You either pass it on or it it's it. <laughs> that's you, it. Or you kill it. <laughs> yeah. Like all of his characters. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think this, whatever this one is next, I think that's probably why he's attached and also
1: the money. It's going to be um, mut- Mutt, uh, an Indiana Jones story. That's right. <laughs> it's starring
0: Shia LaBeouf. Oh, God, don't remind me. Uh, Either way, currently, Spielberg is supposed to be working on West Side Story. You can find Harrison Ford next in The Secret Life of Pets (laughs) 2. He'll be voicing a character. Uh, The next story we have, Edgar Wright teases Baby Driver 2 on Instagram. This is very much a tease. Uh, Arguably not even news, but I I love Baby Driver, and you like Baby Driver. Uh, You found this. Give us some context.
1: So on Instagram, Edgar Wright uh, posted this kind of different a poster of Baby Driver um, to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the film coming out. And uh, he hints, or he, he says, Baby Driver was released one year ago today, had a wild ride with it in the last 365 days. So thank you for all your beautiful responses. It means everything. And who knows, maybe he could get back on the road soon, dot, dot, dot. Ooh. So he's hinting that we might get a Baby Driver sequel.
0: Yeah. And I, 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 I love the idea of this, and also I'm conflicted, because... I, I know right to be such an original filmmaker, like and, and, and he doesn't really do things that are particularly contrived outside of Scott Pilgrim. The only other thing he was really working on was uh, Ant-Man, right. which didn't, didn't happen. Uh, that got passed off to a different director after he left the project. Um, Scott Pilgrim was the only thing he kind of did that was based on original work. Otherwise, everything he's done is entirely his own, and I like that. And, and I, I want that to continue. And while I really, really enjoyed Baby Driver, um, I, 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 I it's lightning in a bottle. And, and I expect yeah. Wright will put out more lightning. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to what he does next. And I'm sure it would be fun, a Baby Driver 2. And I, I would be happy to go see it. But at the same time, like it almost... It, it almost doesn't need it, you know? It doesn't warrant it. Like, you could just leave it. Yeah, and,
1: and I'm not real sure where, where it would go uh, plot-wise, uh, story-wise. And then I feel it would just be very derivative. Like, you're going to get some more sync-ups of music and action, mm-hmm. new soundtrack, and all that stuff would be cool, but it would at that point, it would be old hat.
0: Right, like part of what made Baby Driver so charming is it felt so fresh and new And if you're doing a sequel, everybody's going in with an expectation And that's part of what was cool about it Yes, yeah, I didn't know what to expect when I sat down to watch Baby Driver I just knew, okay, it's going to have a fun soundtrack and it's Edgar Wright That's about it Like I didn't, you know, car chases, maybe, uh, you know, some, some actors um, But I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't really know the plot I didn't really know what to expect I hadn't really figured out a lot from the trailer And that's part of the charm of his movies um, that they're they're new and they're different and and uh, whatever he's working on next, which as far as I can tell from IMDb is a movie called Shadows, which has no plot listed. And it's got a couple writers that I don't think he's worked with yet and a co-director, which is weird. Um, I don't know what he's doing. So whatever it is, I'm excited to see it. Baby Driver two sounds very cool, but by no means necessary. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Completely optional. The last story we have: Disney shuts down Disney Toon Studios in Glendale. This is out of IndieWire you pulled this up because you actually understand why understand why this is important please take it away
1: okay so th- this is actually disney's uh, straight to dvd straight to home video uh, branch of anima- uh, animation studio um and so what's interesting about that is that they've closed this down because they've they're seeing just a decline in that market people aren't buying these straight to dvd trash <laughs> movies that are for you know kind of kids owned to oc- occupy like daycare centers and whatever else uh, just to kind of put off that that used to be a pretty big market, um, but apparently it's dying. And that's, so they're shun- shutting down the animation studio.
0: This bums me out um, because this is one of Disney's three animation studios, which are Disney animation studios, the primary one, the, those are the ones making things like tangled or frozen um, or Wreck-It Ralph. You've got Disney Pixar, of course, who is making things like The Incredibles 2. And then you've got Disney Tune, which is making like the direct planes. Stuff. Yes, planes. planes 2. <laughs> uh, the fairies series, the, the Tinkerbell stuff. And while I was never personally a fan of those, like they got, they got multiple entries. Like they were working on something. Yeah, they made I mean the,
1: someone was buying them.
0: Yeah, like it was going somewhere. And so when Disney is making a streaming service like they're making, I would think you'd need something to pad that out. Running this stuff in the background may not hurt. You can look at somebody like uh, DC and their animated film studios. Like, are they particularly groundbreaking, incredible stuff? No, but they're pretty solid entries. They work. Like, people will spend money on them. And in the case of a streaming service, people would watch them. So, it's a bummer. I know they said they had 75 animators. It's not clear whether or not they're going to Disney or Pixar. Um Sad, I guess, but hopefully um, that some of them do get sparsed out, or at least some of that money goes to the right places, and we can keep seeing um, big hits where it matters, right? With things like The Incredibles or Frozen,
1: yeah, <laughs> R- wreck Ralph. That's it, what I was. And it's for. an interesting shift in in home video. Yeah, you know, with the advent of streaming, I mean, uh, maybe there's just more things for younger audiences to watch, or there's just maybe no need for Superfluous sequels. I'm not I'm not sure. But yeah. there's a shift happening.
0: Yeah, and I uh I can't help it but wax nostalgic about some of the direct to video stuff that Disney's made that is genuinely like it's genuinely had charm. I could cite something like Toy Story Two that was originally supposed to be direct to DVD. Uh, and then they, they, they Pixar showed a screening of it to some Disney execs, and they all sat back at the end and were like, no, we need to put this in theaters. This is too good. And that, that was originally was never supposed to be that way. Or I can look at a movie like uh, Lion King 2, which is not anything outstanding, sure, but like it's got some memorable songs in there. It's got some cool characters. It had Matthew Broderick back. Like they Their, their offshoot animation studios are never they're still Disney, even though they're not as good Disney. Like, there's still something to them. They still have that heart. And hearing that they're shutting down an arm of them uh, in, in one way or another is is a bummer. So, yeah, I guess as a fan, <laughs> like, sad Zach. Uh, with that, I think that about wraps our news. You have agreed to take the premise for our first film. You want to take it away?
1: Sure thing. Sicario, Dave the Soldado, Adios. Um, so before I get into this, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, th- the first film, uh, which was directed by Denny Villeneuve and written by Taylor Sheridan. That movie is completely different from this. That movie, it's very, <laughs> it's very complicated. It's very complex. You know, it's about loss of innocence, loss of um, idealism, about shades of gray, about law and lawlessness, and, you know, when do... The good guys kind of start turning into the bad guys. you know. So it's a different kind of film and neo-Western. And this is nothing like that. And that's okay. There are some good things in this movie. There's a lot of things that do work. There's a lot of things that don't. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but anyways, let me get into the plot synopsis. Uh, so we pick up with Abricio de Toro and Josh Brolin's character and some kind of ham-fisted plot about Cartel's Uh, smuggling people over the border and specifically they smuggle a terrorist over who then commits a terrorist attack uh, on u.s soil this prompts uh, a reaction by the department of of defense and they request uh, kind of they want Alejandro who is uh, Benicio de Toro's character to to rile things up in Mexico to uh, get the cartels to fight with one another so they're they're, you know, taking off the gloves, carry out some assassinations, do a false flag uh, kidnapping, and we'll get the cartels to fight each other, and then they won't be smuggling uh, terrorists across. And um, in that very kind of complicated and ludicrous plot, things start to go wrong. Right. Which, and, is, and the, yeah. yeah. And that's, then that's uh, the basic setup. I
0: did not see all of the first film. And that's that's like like we talked about. It's a good perspective to have for this because you have and I haven't, and and I think it's important to weigh the merits of a sequel not only based on what it was but what it is. And right. and because I haven't seen all of the first one, it's a little easier for me to do that. And, and I've seen parts of it. I saw about half of it to be fair, but I, I don't really know how it wraps up. I, I missed a lot of kind of the the prevalent themes in it. Um, I just got kind of got a feel for it. So as far as not having seen. Uh, the first film I enjoyed this to a point I, I think this movie certainly does try to follow in its father's footsteps it tries to do what the first one did it tries to be kind of slow and and plotting and 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 take its time and have just kind of like these these zoomed out landscape shots and stuff and like really be like this kind of existential look at um, you know violence and the border and culture and 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 uh, it it doesn't it doesn't hit that bar it doesn't, but I I think it's admirable that it swings for that fence when a lot of action movies nowadays don't. True, I I would put this well above something like Rampage or Jurassic. World. Right, yeah, it it Agreed. still does try to go for something deeper. It doesn't really get there, but like I appreciate that it took the time, and I think the way it does that is is through a clever combination of. Realisticish plot yeah. and and clever characters, but those come from the first movie, so that that's really just borrowing from uh, Peter to pay Paul. As far as the actual plot is concerned. Um, to, to kind of sum up what you said, yeah, the, the United States essentially views the, the Mexican drug cartels as terrorist organizations and therefore says we can do whatever we want against them. There are no more rules. like you can you can attack them, you can and then the whole goal is to get them to fight one another, get the Mexican government involved uh, in, in regulating them. And then hopefully this will curb uh, people coming over the border, hopefully curb terrorist attacks from people coming over the border. That's what they're going for, and in order for that to happen, the Secretary of Defense uh, sits down, played by Matthew Modine, uh, sits down Josh Brolin, and says, basically, no rules, gloves off, go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, keep it clean, make it happen, and and that's where we get the 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 uh, I hate to say fun, but like the exciting, Action. yeah, the exciting premise of like it's gonna be bigger than last time, you know, and like, <laughs> bigger explosions. Like that's where that comes from. And as far as execution of that goes, I liked it. I Again, I didn't know a lot about the first movie. I didn't sure. know a lot about how these characters work together. So I liked I, I liked Josh Brolin's character of kind of this just ruthless guy who just likes his job. Like, mm-hmm. it just seems like. Like, he just likes the violence. He likes the chaos. He's into it. Like, he, he enjoys it. That is what he lives for. Meanwhile, you've got Benicio del Toro's character Alejandro, who's very similar, but clearly has a bit more emotion, and I think that really comes across in his performance. Uh, mm-hmm. Benicio del Toro's got it's kind of those like, those droopy eyes, and yeah. like it's just, like the guy's got city miles on him, and it shows, <laughs> but like it works because yeah. he plays this character who's supposed to be coming off of the first movie, a grieving father, and and. Uh, then you've got characters like uh, Catherine Keener's character, who, who's a like, higher up in in uh, Homeland Security, and she just looks beleaguered and looks like she's never slept a day in her life, and uh, like they all they all they all kind of weave together for this interesting story. And the movie does a great job of saying a lot without, or like I don't I don't know, showing and not telling, I guess. Yeah, like, right. It, it it accomplishes a lot without without so many words. You get a lot of like raw emotion from characters who are supposed
1: to be emotionless.
0: And that's effective. So as far as characters, uh, that's what I like.
1: I feel like we lose a lot of the nuance in this film. I feel like they are shadows of their characters from the first film. Yeah um benicio del toro he does the benicio del toro thing where he acts so much with his face and his mannerisms and just how he (laughs) how he moves and and he's actually generally very small in words when you think of like even how he was in in the last jedi where how he carries himself is so much a a part of the the character i forgot he was in that and we and we lose a lot of that in the first sicario he's he's very short on words Mm -hmm. and he's got this great line where uh Emily Blunt's character asks him, uh, you know, is there anything I should know about the cartels? And he responds by saying, You're asking me how a watch works. Why don't we just keep an eye on the time? <laughs> you know, and it's just this very dismissive, condescending, yeah. but deep. Com- yeah, yeah, but con- complex thing. And um, and we just kind of lose that with him. He, for some reason, he's completely ditched his, like, he has a very convincing American accent, kind of out of nowhere. Um, In which, this one? Yes.
0: Yeah, it's really odd. It kind of popped in and popped out, and I didn't know if that was like he was putting it was bit or or like I don't know if that was supposed to be his accent in the movie. I couldn't he, tell.
1: Yeah, but it was it, it was odd.
0: It almost felt like he was faking it intentionally for the sake of the character. Like I yeah, I, I didn't really get what exactly he was going for. It was really <laughs> weird though.
1: With Josh Brolin's character again in the in the first film, he's he's very much about bending the rules but not necessarily breaking them, and that all that goes out the window in in this film where he's just kind of bloodthirsty yeah, out, out of nowhere and, so, and, he's, yeah. and he's definitely not not that way in the first film so again that's that's just my um because of having seen how they were uh, they feel like shadows of their former selves. they're like it's like diet brolin diet del toro it's <laughs> what we're getting we should
0: also talk about uh, two other characters uh two two younger characters we we have isabella uh, uh, Monet monaire yeah who plays a character named isabel reyes in the movie uh, she is a young girl uh, that is kind of caught up in all of this in the in the cartel stuff. I don't want to say what how exactly she's involved, but she's kind of caught up in it. And 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 Benicio del Toro ends up kind of looking after her at one point. And uh, as far as her performance goes, pretty good. And I'll tell you why because they basically all she had to do was play the. the
1: Damsel in uh, distress.
0: Yeah, the 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 screaming dishrag <laughs> to quote Ebert talking about Shelley Shelley Duvall's character in uh, The, the Shining. Shining. Yeah, that's pretty much her. They were like, you don't have to say a lot. You don't have a lot of dialogue. You have to scream and cry a lot. Yeah. like things are going to go wrong. You're screaming and crying. And like for what it's worth, effective. Like yeah, it works. I thought she was good. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you're not too in my face. You're not too in the way. You kind of stay on the back end. Uh, the character I didn't like. Uh, that was a child actor was Elijah Rodriguez's character of Miguel Hernandez. Who's right. a young man who is involved uh, through some family connections and his cousin in smuggling people over the border, and he wants to be a cholo, I guess. And like his whole subplot sucks. I, I yeah, it's I never completely cared. unconvincing. Yep, it was stupid the whole time. <laughs> like, and it was kind of the same thing. Like they they went they, his, his angle. They were like not a lot of words. He's this kid who's kind of quiet and keeps to himself, but like thinks this is what he's got to do to be to be hard or something. So yeah. he's gonna you know like try to do what he's got to do. It was dumb. Like, I I didn't care. Every time it cut to him, I thought, why aren't we looking? Like, it doesn't matter. And it was kind of clumsy the way they tried to tie his plot line into the main characters. Because at one point, Josh Bolin and Benicio Del Toro's character are at the border, or a town on the border, Mm -hmm. uh, talking with, I don't even remember who it was. And they're at a at a at a shopping mall food court for some reason, talking about starting a war with Mexican cartels. And I'm like, why would you be in a mall talking about this? And the reason is because they needed their characters to run into this kid's character like, right. for the movie later, and it's just kind of clumsy. For the mulligans, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Like they had they had to make that connection somewhere. They figured, well, we'll just do it here. They're in a mall food court talking about starting a war. Why not? Like, doesn't.
1: It didn't quite fit. And that's it, it, where I spill my DOJ secrets.
0: Yeah, that that whole subplot just felt kind of clumsy. So that that was a bummer. But but the main plot with, with Josh Brolin, Benicio Altoro, Toro, like again, not I I don't think it holds a
1: candle to the first one. And I haven't really seen it to know. But
0: I I do think it did some things right.
1: And we should yeah. we should talk about that a little. Yeah. Bit. The uh, the action sequences are very good. Um, one things one of the things that a lot of sequels do. Um, and we mentioned this with baby driver is you gotta you gotta ramp up everything so yeah. there were some shootouts in the first one there's gonna be two three more shootouts in this one there was a you know there was one caravan scene we're gonna have three caravan scenes so everything gets ramped up and some of the action is uh, there's a couple of of ambushes that are really pretty effective yeah and I mean it looks like it's just across the border but it looks like something out of like Afghanistan.
0: Right. I, I did enjoy the way uh, a lot of the action is choreographed because it's real snappy. And and in the age of trying to ex- like just extensively raise the stakes in action movies where like there's always something bigger and there's a bigger explosion and there's some kind of big bad enemy that wants to save the world, I feel like in the age of superhero movies and Transformers and Jurassic Park, we get to a point where like... The United States military just kind of falls on the back burner, like they're never, you know, yeah. oh, we have bullets, but they can't, we can't shoot this thing. In this movie, it is so not that way. Like it is, it is like the exact opposite. Like the U.S. military is the toughest thing ever, and anybody who goes against them will get immediately melted. Always, like any, <laughs> yes, any problem these guys ran into. Don't get me wrong, like they, they had a bit of scuffle, shootout, but like. It's almost no contest. Like they're popping around corners and like checking walls and they got everybody's got a rifle and like there's this great scene in this movie where the, where they have to uh they have, they have a scuffle with with a group of like cartel members on this road and like these cartel guys have some guy with a rocket launcher off to the side of the road and and they've got truck mounted guns and they've got dudes running around with like AK forty sevens and pistols. And and the US soldiers and Josh Bull and Bernice Coldour, they they're they're in like three armored trucks and it's like they're so doomed like they they are yeah. so so doomed and like they they have almost no problem getting out of there they they're just super like tactical and smart and like it's it's a great it's a great analogy for the bigger conflict in the movie that like the US is is like smart and efficient and calculated and and like the our enemies are foolish and dumb and criminals and like if we if we play our cards right, we will win. And and like there's there's something to it. But as far as the action is concerned, um, really enjoyed it. I think. Uh, yeah. what, what
1: did you think? No, no. The the action definitely works. It just it lacks meaning and lacks gravitas. Um, in the first one, there is a great uh, choreographed scene where they go across the border into, um, Juarez from El Paso, and they have to go in retrieve someone and come back and. When they come back, they get stuck at the border because it's a tra- traffic jam. And which, if you've ever tried to cross the border at a busy time, that's exactly what happens. And it's the most tense thing because they're stuck and they need to leave, and there's like assassins in all these cars around them and they can't get anywhere because of a stupid traffic jam <laughs> and it's it's, it's yeah. so exciting and it builds so much tension until so all the action has more meaning and more there's a reason it's all happening sure and, and then go ahead and so it and so that's that's missing in this one that like i said there's shootouts just so we can have shootouts
0: right and that, i i had seen that scene in the first movie and i was almost looking forward to something like that in this and there's a scene where i thought it would get come up on it when they're across the border And some stuff goes down, and they're like, "We got to get back over now! Like, we got to get stateside." And so they they tear off for the border, and like they're coming up on on the border, and they say, "You know, just just blow through anything that's in front of us. We're making it happen." There's like there's all (laughs) these lines of traffic, completely open lane. They just right through it, like nothing stops them. (laughs) It's yeah, it's completely antithetical to what the first movie was, and like I, it's it's frustrating. And, And to talk about how. Uh, it, it, it doesn't it lacks gravitas, you said. There's this great character in this movie, played by a guy named Bruno Bashir, who is a um, very talented talented Hispanic actress and a lot in Mexican cinema. He plays a deaf man in this movie named Angel. And he kinda helps out Benicio del Toro's character in this moment where they're like talking in sign language and the girl is like intrigued and it's like yeah, it's like it's supposed to be Kind of artsy or yeah, meaningful? It's, it's kind of not. It's like this is just clumsy. Like, you know,
1: we don't we don't care. Like, let's just get to the action and and well, his, yeah. They kind of, um, they almost take Benicio del Toro's character, and it's almost like he's been brought back in time because when we meet him in the first Sicario, he's a man who's kind of lost everything and and has at this point no. I'm not going to say no morals, but he he has no qualms about anything he has to do about killing people, about torturing people, about being the nasty, doing the, getting his hands dirty yeah. in the name of justice. And in this film, he's kind of not quite that guy. Like he's like, he's hesitant to be yeah. that guy, but he was that already. So that's, it's a little like, doesn't really line up.
0: Right. And there's a little bit of this like weapon X kind of scenario yeah. where Josh Brolin's like, you know how long it took to put that guy together and, and, like we, you know, the the U.S. made him, and like, yeah, like I don't know, like there's some kind of like super soldier kind of thing going for him, and I guess that plays into where I don't know. I I don't want to get into spoiler territory. Well, like I wanted talk to about talk where about, about might be going. Yeah,
1: but, sorry, I wanted to talk about these plot devices that um, kind of kick off everything yeah. about like smuggling terrorists over the border, and then there's also this whole thing about just you know smuggling people over the border mm-hmm. and i know that that's uh, i mean these are some real world things i feel like the uh, because of the political climate i'm like you know now it's not really the time for to, for you to be making plot devices out of these yeah these parts. i
0: was i was wondering if we would talk about this in the show uh yeah, one of the reviews i heard for this movie is sicario day of the soldado throws a grenade in the middle of the immigration debate
1: <laughs> yeah thro- throws gas on the fire
0: I mean, a little, a little bit, yeah. Like, it, it, it feels a little insensitive. And, like, I, I, we've talked about this before. I get how movies are made. It's not like they started filming this yesterday. No. They didn't look at where things are and go, now's the time to make a movie like this. Like, I, I get it. And there's really arguably no reason to push it back because this movie doesn't really – it didn't really take a
1: political stance, I don't think. Yeah. Like, well, and it's not – I mean, now's not the time. But really, I was thinking – no time would be the time for these <laughs> for these plot devices. Like it's it's right, like kind it, of
0: right. It, it's it misses the point of the first one because yeah. really, it, like in the first one, as I understand it, again didn't see it. Like it, it didn't necess- Like it wasn't about like immigration. It was about no.
1: justice and like yeah. Well, in the first one, it's about the war on drugs, and it's very grounded in that. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk a lot about like uh, Josh Brolin has a line that says, "Well, you know, as long as twenty percent of Americans are buying the stuff, we're going to keep doing what we do." Right, you know, um, and there's lots of comments there about like the nature of the war on drugs and it's and how it f- affects both sides, both politically, legally, just than the average person. Like it, it really takes the issue seriously mm-hmm. and makes lots of comments. I mean, not condemning one way or the other, but just kind of makes you look at it. And the, here we ha- we have takes it, the issues of terrorism and immigration, and it just kind of uses them as a very lazy plot device and doesn't actually get into kind of more serious questions or look at at those issues
0: and to speak towards the lazy plot divisiveness of it one thing i did notice in this movie it does that thing where it'll it'll change scenes and it'll be like an exterior shot somewhere an establishing shot and it'll say in the bottom right corner in their fancy white text like where they are um this movie is one of those movies that like and a lot of action movies do, but, like, really has to lean on that because if those weren't there, I, I would have no idea yeah. where anything this movie takes. Like it it all just, just be like looks d- the same. Desert One. Yep, exactly. Yeah, like, it just, you look like you're shooting in the desert. Like, I can't tell. At one point, you're in Africa and you're back in Mexico and it's it looks the same. It really yeah. does. And and I, I don't know if that's a bad thing for a movie to do, but it certainly doesn't seem great that you have to lean on, like, here's where you are. The movie also does open with a little bit of text at the beginning, but it does a very clever, like, it's less text than something like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, so it didn't feel too intrusive. You probably don't remember it, but
1: no, I don't. Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. So that's not too bad. One, a couple other things I wanted to mention before I wrap this up, at least on my end. Um, Benicio del Toro, I, I do, I do like his character. I, I do, even though he's he's kind of this weird how to do, and, and I think really honestly, I think it's just because like I dig Benicio del Toro. Wish the guy got more work, um, and that's good stuff. As far as Josh Brolin's concerned, do you think? Like, have you reached a point of, like, Brolin
1: fatigue? Has it happened yet? You know, a little bit. A little bit, enough, No? N- not, okay. N- no, not, not necessarily Brolin fatigue, but now every time he talks, I hear Thanos. Okay. <laughs> so kind of, yeah, it's All definitely right. happening.
0: It's starting to, yeah, I'm like, man, we see a lot of Josh Brolin this summer, and that's cool, but, like, his character in this was different enough. I didn't really get it. Like, he really does feel complex and, like, nuanced, and he's not... Just some ethereal, some somebody from a different dimension, like he is in the in, in Avengers and Deadpool 2. Like he, he does feel pretty rooted in reality, but mm-hmm. I, I one of the rev- one of the things I heard about this movie is that it it, it desperately misses Emily Blunt's character.
1: Yes, it, I I didn't see it. What do you think about that? So the whole point of the first film is you know it's about this loss of I, idealism and innocence in Emily Blunt's character. Um, But really, at at the end, she she kind of shows who she is, and who she is is not a a bad guy, not a bad person. You know, she starts to kind of talk like those other guys and be, but when it kind of comes to make the decisions of, like, you know, are we going to start working outside the law? Are we going to get our hands dirty? She doesn't, Mm. you know, and she finds that she's in a world of people who do, like um, Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin's character, and – at the end of that film, she realizes that, you know, she does, she is not made for this. And that's what they tell her. Um, Benicio del Toro says, You are not a wolf, and this is a land of wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're, we're, that's a huge part of the first movie. And we don't get any kind of that, like, <laughs> more kind of moral compass or morally grounded character. I mean, you, at all. You, you yeah,
0: I, I would say you, you, you kind of get undertones out of it with, with the little girl character, but that's like, because there's a whole thing w- with like her, her father and what he does, and she feels like she's got clout, and uh, yeah, she... But you're right. Like it's it's not holding a candle to what was happening in the first movie. It just isn't. It, yeah, it, it reminds I mean, me of it reminds me of Jurassic World. It's like you're kind of just shoehorning in the nature versus nurture stuff because the first one did it, and you feel like you have to. But it's by no means a priority. Like you don't really care. Yeah. you're just doing it because you gotta. In the first one, th-
1: in the first one, there's this great motif of clothes um, uh, th- uh, throughout the whole movie. Um, Emily Blunt's k- shirt gets darker over the whole the whole film, and oh. it's kind of parali- parallels her loss of innocence. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Benicio del Toro; he wears this white suit, but it's like with black clothes under or black shirts underneath, so he's like wolf in sheep's clothing. So mm-hmm. there's these like really subtle things that are easy to miss, but are making big statements and right. we just we just get none of that none of that moral ambiguity none of that like shades of gray stuff
0: i think we should quickly before we wrap this up because we've been talking about this for a really long time uh we should talk about the writer director and cinematographer yeah and the first one is written by taylor sheridan it was it was directed by denise It is cinematography by roger deakins great mm-hmm. this one is written by the same guy all right so it's who also wrote Heller High Water. Yeah, he's yeah.
1: he's kind of being known for what we're calling neo-Western. So he did right. Heller High Water and also Wind River, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is very good. Right.
0: So it's written by the same person.
1: So you got that going for you. It's directed by a guy named Stefano
0: Salima, who also did. And I, don't you love when you talk your way into a point you're not ready for it? <laughs>
1: yeah. He's done a bunch of, of TV, uh, some uh, looks like Spanish cinema as well. Right. And, and I don't
0: know who did the cinematography, but it wasn't Deakins how 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 different like where do you think the differences start and stop here because it's certainly a little different in the writing right
1: yeah i mean well i mean, yeah like you said before it's kind of like sicario light um as far as the uh the cinematography is completely different in the first one there's a great scene uh, towards the end which is uh takes place at night and deals with soldiers and night vision and you get a lot of really unique shots mm-hmm. and this i mean like you said all of this looks the same Right. Like, I'm in Africa, I'm in Mexico, I'm yep. in the States, it's all one place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Deacons is, like, he he's he's just got this charm in being, like, painfully slow in presentation. Like, just putting something on screen and just letting it hang for 15, 20 seconds. Like, and just letting you absorb it and, like, think about it and, like, make it a cerebral experience. And this... I mean, like, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like stuck between that. It, like, if it's trying to, if it's a needle on a dial, it's stuck between Deacons and like generic action movie. Like, it yeah. tries to go there, but it doesn't quite make it. Um, and that's pretty much just every step of the way, I guess.
1: Yeah. The, le- the very last thing that I was thinking of to yeah. say is, uh, um, you know, the, in the trailers and everything is all this about like, oh, no rules or taking the gloves off. Uh, turning you loose. And I felt like that didn't really happen. I felt like, Oh totally. Yeah, you you guys were I mean, you guys were already at kind of operating outside of the sure. law. And so you're just doing more of that. You're not doing it harder. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, the the no rules thing doesn't like it never really applies. It's never like, nope, here open checkbook. You're already on your way. Like immediately following that conversation in the trailer, Josh Brolin has a, has a conversation with somebody about budget restrictions like obviously there are rules like it, it, it never really lands in that space like it's great for the trailer it's great for advertising like ooh yeah it's going to be awesome this time but like it never it never really gets there and it's still cool it's still cool to be fair they got blackout helicopters and they do rad things but um, yeah it, it's it's kind of just a
1: yeah if you were looking for Benicio Del Toro's character to, to go off he doesn't really go off
0: yeah yeah <laughs> You never really get there, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Sicario, Day of the Soldado?
1: Uh, so this is is tricky. Um, I mean, it as an action vehicle, it it definitely works. There's good performances. You know, it's it was never going to be what the what the original was. It doesn't try to be, uh, good. Like I said, good action sequences. Um, yeah I mean if, if there's not much out if you've seen everything else this summer I mean I you know probably save it for Netflix is what I would say I, I would I think I'd recommend
0: it and again the reason is because it's better than something like Rampage or Jurassic World sure but yeah if if you're looking for it to scratch an itch it Probably won't do it for you. Like it's it's unique in, in that it's its own kind of thing and it tries to do it to go about it its own way. But at the end of the day, it is still like Jurassic World, a a sequel that is less than the sum of its parts. it's yeah. just, It's not it's not as good. It doesn't even try to. It tries to hit the high water mark and it misses and it shows. So if you're looking for an action movie that's just a little different, if you're looking for something that's just like it's kind of a, a breath of fresh air in the genre. Go for it, but I'd still probably recommend the first one over this one.
1: Yeah, you might actually enjoy the second one better if you don't see the first one. Right,
0: honestly, yeah. Ba- based on our reviews, I would say that's probably true. And 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 because of that, and and uh, as a footnote, I, I am looking forward to seeing the first one because it feels already like it's going to be so different that it's like it's almost an alternate take. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of its own own thing, and I think that's
1: cool. So yeah, and it obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but it hints towards a third film.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. We'll be tuned in for Sicario 3, whenever that comes along. (sighs) The Death of Cinema. (laughs) So today, (laughs) on... On the death of cinema, uh, we're talking about trailer fatigue, and we got to this kind of uh, this conversation because we've both seen the Mission Impossible trailer so many times,
1: all Since the time. Since the Super Bowl.
0: What is the name of it? Uh,
1: Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible Fallout?
0: Fallout. It's not Rogue Nation, and it's not Ghost Protocol, and I can't remember because I saw those trailers a billion times, and, and this one is the same way, like... I've seen so I've seen the same trailer so many times. I can quote it. That stupid song. I could I could play it on like a drum on a table. Like I, I <laughs> we've seen it a million times. It is front is in front of every freaking movie we go to see.
1: Since the Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> Since the Super Bowl, yeah. And I think now they've got like an alternate cut of it, but it's basically the same. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's not much different. I feel like I had to watch one trailer for six months, and now I've had to watch a different trailer for the last two months.
0: Right. And it's comforting because the internet is coming around on this too. People people yeah. are, are sick of seeing the Mission Impossible trailer. They want to see more. And I guess, like, the best place to start this conversation is, do you think it's going to pay off? Do you think? I mean, do you think it's going to kill at the box office? They're going to make a bunch of money because I mean, the, their advertising budget has got to be outrageous compared to something like Solo. I mean, they're sure. crushing. They're they're putting it in front of everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, they run the risk of people being annoyed and turned off by the film. That's definitely happened to me, where I saw something too many times and it just made me not want to see it. Sure. Uh, so it runs at risk, but at the same time, there are parts of that trailer that I enjoy every time. Like, the bathroom fight scene looks really awesome.
0: I know. Like, the more I see it, the, there there is stuff that I want to see. I am looking forward to seeing the movie, to be fair. Like, I've seen it enough that I, I, I like, brainwashed into wanting to see it. Because initially I didn't. I was like, that looks stupid. Now I'm like, okay, there's that rad helicopter gun thing and, like, Henry Cavill reloading his arms—that's a good time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like it, it looks fun, but like all of the things that aren't action look dumb. And I think it's just because of, like, the hokey lines that I've heard a million right. times, you know? Have you ever, have you ever chosen not to accept a mission? Yeah. You need to walk away. Like, I just, like, we've, oh, God. Like, all of the dialogue looks horrible. And all of the action looks great. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a weird place for Mission Impossible movie to be in. But I guess that's kind of where they've always been, right? Like, mm. Mission Impossible's strong point has never been, like, it's gripping dialogue. It's always been the action first and foremost. Why haven't they cut other trailers? Why, like I mean there's like two.
1: Why have we seen that one trailer so many well, times? Well, maybe they just don't want to give too much away, but they they but they want to pretend like they are giving a lot away. Yeah.
0: I mean, especially after the trailer that that ran in front of Sicario, it gives even more of the plot away. Like it just I feel like I've seen the whole movie. I, yeah. I feel like I know everything that's going to happen. And it sucks cuz you even get to this point where you have a checklist in your head. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I'll be watching a movie and like I'll, I'll think to my point. I'll think at some point, man, maybe it's wrapping up, or I wonder what's going to happen next. And then I'll remember a scene in the trailer, like, oh yeah, yeah. this is coming somewhere. I gotta that, get there. Where's the set piece with the helicopter? Well, what about the bathroom fight? When does that happen? Like yeah, like you, <laughs> you checklist it in your head, and like that is no way to enjoy a film. It just isn't. Yeah. Like, knowing what to expect, that's that's not going to get you anywhere. And another movie that does this we had mentioned was Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. A trailer in a million times in front of everything always. Yeah. And of course, like, they they had the one at first that wasn't so bad. It was uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, got it right this time, and, and Justice, what's his name, uh, gets to the island, and they're in the, the little glass dome thing, and then Chris Pratt's running behind him, jump off the cliff, and it's like, ooh, what's going to happen? That was a cool tease. That was the teaser yeah. trailer. Right. But then it expanded, and it's like, oh, dinosaurs are on mainland. And it's like, well, that, okay, so it's the Lost World remake. Quirt, yeah. you know like it
1: never really gave everything away
0: yeah and and when it comes to running a trailer a lot leading up to like months and months leading up to a movie it's weird to give away the ghost and like tell us what's going to be in it that far ahead and then have us watch the trailer that many times because you get to a point where people just feel like why, well, you know i already know what it's about like you you give up too much
1: i think you also have to remember though that you and I see way more movies than the average person. And so while you and I might see a trailer three, four, or five times, yeah. the average person might only catch it once or twice.
0: I My, my, my counter argument to that, I watch much less television. And I'm hoping people see a lot of this on TV. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I obviously can't speak towards that because I don't watch a lot of television. But you're right. We, we do see these trailers a lot. But I can't help but feel like uh, it's still a lot. Yeah, like because I, I look at something like like Solo we talked about on the show because they didn't run a trailer like three months before that movie came out. I don't think they had a trailer out. Like they they cut it close. Yeah, um, and it was weird. Like it was it was surreal. Like why why isn't Disney advertising this movie ninety days before the before the movie comes out? And, like there's no reason for them to have to. But we feel like we've reached a point where it's weird if you don't. You know, like, yeah. The the industry has just kind of strayed this way. And now we're expecting trailers way out ahead of stuff. And it's, um, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: you know, especially for big movies, you'll get, you know, a, its you have the year-long plan, the nine-month plan, the six-month plan, like what you release slowly, yeah. steadily. And, you know, usually it's teaser, about six, eight months out, trailer one, about four months out, trailer two, two months out. Yep. something like that, and that and that's on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. And I guess with, um, especially with something like Mission Impossible Fallout, they retreat. They just released like the full first trailer in January, whenever the Super Bowl was, and so we've had to watch that for n- nigh on six months.
0: Right. And then you compare that to something like, uh, and it's apples and oranges because Mission Impossible uh, is a much bigger film, but something like the Cloverfield paradox, which the trailer comes out and it's out now and you yeah. can watch it immediately. Like trailer comes out same day as release. Like the, it just feels like this industry sometimes is so skewed in like expectations and what what people want and what what filmmakers or I should say film promoters think people want. Right. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if anybody does well, at this
1: point. What I was thinking of uh, in music, a lot of times you'll have just like a flash drop. You know, like Beyonce has done this or Jay-Z where they're like, you know, you just get a tweet. Oh, there's a new album out today. Yeah. Like zero advertising, zero anything. And I'm not – I'm curious if that would work in, in movies. I don't think it would, but I it would mean, be nice if someone tried it.
0: The Cloafield Paradox got a lot of play.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that that's probably the best example where mm-hmm. it was like trailer drops – and movies out next month. Yeah. Four weeks.
0: Because I, I remember like my, my my phone was blown up about that. Like as I was watching the Super Bowl and I missed that trailer and then uh, I get on Twitter it's just Cloverfield Paradox like all down the feed. Everybody mm-hmm. wanted to see it. You can watch it right now. People were talking about it like it was a great way to drum up attraction and like get those hashtags trending and in the age of social media. I think it works. Yeah. Um, And to, to that point, yeah, like if you're running trailers like this just constantly – you're missing out on that a little bit. You're missing out on that virality, I guess. Uh, you're 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 kind of sacrificing that at the expense of hoping more people will see the trailer and eventually go see the movie, which will probably work. Again, Mission Impossible, I think, will be a big
1: hit. Yeah, you know, that's interesting what you bring up because they've definitely gone after the traditional in-theater market. And yeah. Not, I mean, I haven't seen, you know, like, oh, featurette on social media or a cool clip of this, you know, those kinds of things that a lot of, yeah. companies and studios do.
0: And I feel like I remember that from the other Mission Impossible movies because uh, uh, Tom Cruise does a lot of the stunts. And it would be like, hey, check out this behind-the-scenes video on Facebook that's like Tom Cruise hanging out of a helicopter. I feel like I haven't seen that here. It's yeah. just been that freaking trailer over and <laughs> over again. Um, and it's weird. And, and I think the, the last thing we should mention before we move on from this is something like Star Wars. We talked about this um a couple weeks ago right yeah last week uh, uh, about how they're not there's not supposed to be a Star Wars movie that's coming out till next December i think that's great because in the age of fatigue and especially something like star wars fatigue there shouldn't be a trailer for a while give people time to breathe let let yeah. them let let the let Wait the soil <laughs> yeah exactly like let let things move around let people hang out let uh, let people kind of forget about Star Wars for a minute. You don't want to go to as far as something like uh, to dip in a television Game of Thrones, where people just almost forget. Like it, yeah. they just never finished it. But I, I think Star Wars, give it seven or eight months, then have some kind of Super Bowl announcement or something like Star Wars Episode Nine. You know, take it easy. People still know it's coming, um, just like Mission Impossible. Like everybody knows Mission Mission Impossible Six is coming, but you don't have to be so in your face. Sometimes less is more.
1: Yeah, th- I feel like Star Wars has been very kind of conservative on that front. Whenever The Last Jedi came out, um, I think the first teaser dropped in April, and then the next one, would, I think the first trailer came out in October, and people were complaining. They're like, oh, we haven't seen anything. Why?" Did, like, I th- And I think that's what you want. You want people to be hungry for the, ma- the content and the material.
0: Right. No, I think you're right. Um Gosh, I don't have much else to say about it. I guess I just I'm sick of seeing <laughs> the Mission Impossible trailer. Yeah. Really, at the end of the day, and I, I which like we to will
1: review on this show.
0: We will, we will. Su- it's uh, a couple weeks, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. End of end of July. End of July, and uh, it's probably around then we'll start talking about what's coming around the corner for. Yep. Yeah, August, New, October, fall. But that just about wraps our segment for The Death of Cinema. Real quick, because normally I do this at the end, but if you have thoughts about Trailer Fatigue, if you're sick of seeing it too, or if you haven't seen it enough, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and we will talk about it on the show. So yeah, give you a free plug from your boys at Offscript. The last movie we're going to talk about is on HBO Now. It came out in 2017, it is the R-rated horror film based on the Stephen King book of the same name, it. <laughs> Look at them now, boys. Ain't nothing like a little fear to make a paper man crumble. It is the story of uh, a young group of boys and one girl called the Losers Club in the summer of 1989 when they are harassed by a a shape-shifting monster that appears (laughs) in the shape of a clown Yes. uh, in their small town of Derry, which is in Maine. It is a period piece uh, kind of... Inspired by something like Stranger Things, which is also inspired by the original It. Yeah. So you get a weird cyclical kind of something there, but essentially at, at its core, it is a group of kids trying to fight a monster. Right. That's the movie. Uh, it's popularized for its uh, revival of clowns in, in horror, which is something for years I've been saying needs to come back around. We need more good clown horror movies. Clowns have gone stale. Um, Andy, what did you think of It?
1: Um, So, I really like this movie. Um, I I saw it, you know, opening weekend uh, last uh, September. Um, Terrifying. Made a ton of money. Um, And it's more, it's not so much horror. It's more of like action-adventure horror. With a a little bit of of mystery. And it's more of that action... action adventure side even. And and it's very reminiscent, like you said, of, of the 80s, but but also the films of the 80s. So things like E.T. and The Goonies, it's a <laughs> genre that I, I like to call kids on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> kids on bikes. And then, stranger, and then invokes some stranger things um, as well. And, and it's updated. So the book, I haven't read the book, but I know the book takes place in the 50s. Uh, so it's been updated um, to take place 30 years before now and uh, yeah i really like it really good performances it's a good on ense- ensemble cast of of good child actors um and it's like most good horror or, or good movies it's about a lot of other things besides the kids trying to um find a monster um it does what stephen king does best he uses supernatural horrors to shine light on real world horrors and a lot of times the the Challenges in the real world are worse than the monsters that he dreams up.
0: Mm-hmm. And this movie had a handful of writers. Usually, uh, a number which is is frightening me. Four writers on on it, mm-hmm. at least on IMDb. I think there were. I want to say there's only like two or three listed in the film, but I guess we had some. I guess three, and then writing. Stephen King is just oh, okay. The, well, then, the yeah, novelist. Okay. That makes sense. Um, usually, if a movie's got that many writers, it's concerning. To me, uh, same with directors, especially with directors. Um, but this movie doesn't doesn't overdo it because I think there's a lot of content they had to get through so much so that they decided to split the book. This is only really the first half of it, um, and and it, it, they really did take time to figure out, yeah, like exactly what you said, what actually is scary and like how. This problem of this monster can highlight like true problems in in reality. Yeah, um, and that's important. Yeah, each each one of these kids has a family; they have a parent, at least one. Um, they 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 have problems. Each one of them has has relatively real world fears. They're things that would scare you as a kid, uh, and 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 it builds on that, which is what makes it so like engaging, I think, and so relatable because you feel like okay, when I was a kid, that made sense that would scare me, you know, sure. I do wonder if that maybe maybe brings it a step back from what it could be as far as the scares are concerned because right. a couple of a couple of the things in this movie, a couple of the scares are I don't want to say lame, but like they're kind of d- lame, yeah, you know well, what I mean? It definitely
1: mean? gets less scary upon rewatch as well.
0: It does. And and to talk about getting Less scary. Actually, we should get to that in a minute. First, uh, the plot. Let's start there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie is long. It is two hours and fifteen minutes, which, which, like we talked about before, Hereditary. Long horror is usually not a great play because it's yeah. hard to keep people like in in a mode of anxiety and heightened tension where they can be scared that long. And this movie. Is smart in the way it does it because it, It's got a lot of ups and downs uh, it's, it's got a lot of Kind of highs and lows as far as scares go It'll, it'll be scary and not scary And scary and then not scary and towards the end those start Those moments start to get closer and closer together and that beat picks up and it'll, it'll lots of scares Lots of scares lots of scares till the big finale um, But it also has some big dips where it's not scary at all Yeah, and, and it, you get these moments where it's like it's just kids being kids. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah
1: some comedic moments yeah and it's well.
0: really clever like there's 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 a great moment when uh you know some of the some of the kids are are by a a, a giant storm drain and they're they're looking in there and they find this one girl's uh, this missing girl's shoe it's like oh my god and they have this you know this talk and one of them's like listen like i don't, I don't want to do this i just want to be a kid it's summer i'm going to be doing this and they're like yeah you're right and then right then, like, another kid comes flying down the creek and lands in this thing and like, what the hell happened to you? And then, like, totally changes tone. Yeah. And, like, it's so appropriate for kids because that's how kids are. Like, they're never super serious. They're never super focused in on one thing. And it keeps it light and it keeps it fun. And, like, it diffuses a lot of that tension and keeps you ready for when it comes around the next time. And I think that's really effective.
1: Yeah. Um. <laughs> One of the things that that I guess stands out to me is uh, a lot of these deeper kind of plot devices and, like I said, real-world themes, I mean, because it brings up things like child abuse, sexual abuse, um, racism, and a a lot of it is actually, it's not explicit. It's kind of said in, a lot of times it's in the dialogue, said in its passing, or what things you see, or the way characters look, and like I said, it brings up these really pretty serious real world problems and more importantly how they're ignored. You yeah, know, like that's the um uh, that's almost what brings Pennywise around is that's when you see the the red balloon is when adults are ignoring problems that kids are trying to bring to their attention. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the movie parallels you know their kind of more minor problems with some of these larger problems like racism. Yeah, uh, for instance.
0: Uh, right to to build on that outside of like these light-hearted airy moments that draw away from the scares they have dark moments that draw away from the scares which sounds counterintuitive but it's not like instead of being you know and instead of a character getting chased around by a clown which is inherently scary you'll have a character talking to their abusive father, which is scary in a different way. Like, it's, 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 it's gripping and it's interesting, but in a way that's different, so it keeps your brain loose and it keeps you kind of engaged for whatever's to come next and just kind of creates this swirl of, of plot and intrigue that is genuinely entertaining for two hours and 15 minutes, which is a lot to ask of a horror movie. And I like the way this movie builds the world around it because it never—it doesn't feel like it ever wastes a line, other than like Richie's lines, which yeah. are like throwaway gags, which second time around not nearly as funny. Yeah. Like first some time of them, some of them still work. Some but of them yeah. funny, yeah. Second time around, a lot of them didn't land. Like you notice, you notice a lot of the flops more. Um, yeah. which is fine. He's a kid, whatever. Like a lot of this humor is supposed to be cringe humor and bad, but. Um, yeah, you you get these really stark moments of light and darkness outside of it, the monster, and 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 building the world around it using lines uh, to to keep things effective and like keep you engaged in in the narrative. Like they're they work on a subconscious level. A great example uh, when at the very beginning of the movie, when a few of the guy, a few a few of the young male characters are at one of the the kids' house, Eddie. Who has this mom who's like stays inside and watches TV all day as a total slob and total control freak? Uh, they she, she's kind of a heavy set woman, and they're looking in the pantry for a flashlight or something. Yeah, and Eddie says, "Hey, like, don't take any any of the the ding dongs or something." My mom loves those, and you hadn't even seen the mom yet, and it's just a clever way to be. Hey, my mom likes junk food. Yeah. And then later when you see the mom, that line from before makes sense. And the whole movie does that. Like, they never waste a line. Like, yeah. they never, the, the writing is phenomenally efficient for juggling, like, eight characters in two and a half hours. Really well done.
1: Right. That's what I wanted to touch on is is how the character shines a light on everyone just enough. Um, because, you know, it's, what, six kids, I think, in the Losers Club plus yeah. other like the bullies and there's a lot of people and they all have important parts and all have things that kind of relate uh, to Pennywise and how it it just hones in and it it could easily get lost. You could easily either not have enough screen time for everyone or have too much and it'd be overly long, but it does a really good job of balancing and you getting to know everyone in in the crew. Right, and that speaks
0: towards very much the casting, which is outstanding in this movie. Like the casting is... So good. Um, there's so many movies you see where where a character is cast and you forget about them. And this movie, like, even though it's using almost exclusively child actors, is so not that way. Like, mm. I remember every kid from this movie. Like, I I, I don't remember their names per se because there was, like six of them, but I remember their faces. I remember their lines. Like, I remember how they sound. They're they're phenomenally memorable and they're really well directed. And it's not just like you said, the six kids. There's the bully. There's the bully's friends. Like every one of them is is like unique and interesting and has a unique look one of them's like tall and lanky and wears jeans the other one like wears a stupid backwards baseball hat mm-hmm. like they've all got like a design to them and like a very intentional feel to them that makes them stand out so when you have these moments when one of them is singled out and scared individually by their own personal fears or, or maybe talked to by their parents um that Feels So much more real because it's rooted in a character that you kind of care about even if you really don't like right you, even if it's not one of your favorites like you still respect them as a character because they're built up in the world um, where they feel like something and and that extends to the parents to a point because in a way as much as the parents are engaging in their own people they do a little bit because of their placement against the subplot of the plot of the kids feel like the teacher from charlie brown just kind of in the background like want 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 like they're not really there you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i i thought it was surprising that the main character pete there's not a single character B- named pete and billy it, billy that's it uh at the beginning of the movie you get a shot of his mom playing piano in a very like diegetic sound yeah she's kind of playing the soundtrack of the movie kind of like birdman um then after that, you get a bit where the dad's like put all this stuff away before your mother sees those. I don't know if you ever see the mom.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's it. I think you're I think right.
0: that's it. That's the that's the only bit you get her. And like she's in there, but like she's totally in the background. I mean exclusively, including the soundtrack. Um and that's not to say that she's not there. She is. But like She's not important. So uh, the movie does a great job of building that stuff up, but not dragging it out and not like shoving it in your face and mm-hmm. saying you have to look at this. This is important. It focuses on the kids first and foremost and their problems, and that's what makes it cool.
1: Um, I have a question for you. Oh please what What did you think of uh, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise? <sighs> Second time around, I, I, maybe I
0: didn't like him as much. And, and and I think just because of, of his his delivery, I, I know he, he spent a lot of time looking at things like The Shining, Clockwork Orange, um, The Dark Knight, Joker, right. and Silence of the Lambs to kind of arrive at where he's at. And I know it couldn't be Tim Burton, or uh, Tim Burton, uh, Tim, Tim, Curry. Tim Curry. Couldn't be Tim Curry. And I respect that. He didn't go for a Tim Curry impersonation, and he shouldn't have. Like He should have right. done his own thing with the character and did a great job. Um, especially with the mythology of, of Pennywise resurfacing every 27 years and stuff. Like, he didn't have to. This one even has an homage to the original uh, Tim Curry character. But um, I don't know. Like, it, it's it's weird and, like, disjointed. I like the look of it. Yeah. The sound of it is is odd. But I think that's part of the charm. What do you
1: think? Um, for the most part, I, I really like it. it. I think it works. Um, and it, the changes in voice... Um, I mean sometimes it can be really dramatic because there are times where he's just trying to be the you know the clown that you're not afraid of you know you should yeah. be and then there's parts where he's like a, a monster right um to be fair
0: like unrecognizable in the role. oh yeah yeah like like let me be let me be fair as far as the performance is concerned great performance um but like you remember that when the, when the dancing thing became a meme right that's a fine example like it's just kind of goofy but that's part of the charm of the character because like this movie intentionally puts him in the front from almost the very beginning when he's talking to George in the storm drain it's like hey here's here's the bad guy and like that's part of the part of the fun uh because it it, it presents it in a way to these kids where like just like how the kids become not afraid of him they become desensitized to Pennywise you do too yeah and you get to a point where you're not as scared of him anymore and like you can relate you can relate to the kids on that level
1: yeah um yeah, I, I just thought, I thought, especially the first time I saw it, I thought he was really pretty scary. And there's, um, you know, like you said, he's a shapeshifter. So, the, especially on, on first viewing, you don't really know what form he's going to take or what he's going to, where he's going right. to be, how he's going to transform. Right,
0: because I had never read the book, and I never even really watched the miniseries. Same. I just watched a lot of, like, reviews and compilations and stuff of the miniseries. Yeah, I didn't really, I I, I, knew, I knew he was kind of a shapeshifter, but I didn't know how that power worked exactly. If he could teleport... Or travel right. through time, or walls. Like I didn't really know what he could do. So yeah, when these kids are having all of these issues, you know, they're, they're seeing things and like things are scaring them. I didn't know if that was just something like in their head, or like that's actually happening. And like the movie does a clever job of never really drawing that line in the sand. Yeah, yeah. It, it says these things aren't real. We're not really seeing them. And some of the characters are like it is real. I'm looking at it. I'm touching it. It's real. But like. I don't know. Yeah, like it just kind of works, I guess, in the mythology of the, of the world. It, it's confusing, but for, for kids fighting a monster, like it, 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 it gets across, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, saw, I saw today, actually, that um, Jessica Chastain, who is playing Beverly Marsh in It Chapter 2, she tweeted out a picture or on Instagram of the cast reading uh, the script for the next film. So how are you, um, what do you feel about it? Chapter two, which will take, you know, 20 place, 27, 27 years, years. after the first one.
0: Um, it's, I think it's going to be challenging. I really do. And, and I think they're going to have to shift tonally. Uh, I think it needs to be,
1: yeah, you can't do kids on bikes. You can't, uh, you can't, exactly. <laughs> you can't do adults on it bikes. It can't be <laughs> this
0: movie. Like, cause they're adults. Like it has to be different. Um, but it's got to still kind of scratch the itch. And I think the way to do that is, is the way everybody's predicting. You got to go darker. It's got to be darker and it's got to be more violent and it's got to be, you know. Yeah, it's, it's got to be something. Yeah. If, if it, the
1: first film is about confronting your childhood fears, then. And I haven't read the novel, but maybe it's going to be about confronting an adulthood fears.
0: Right. I think it, like there's a great scene in this movie where Pennywise is like straight up like just on top of one of the kids, about to eat him, and he's 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 getting him to be scared and cry and like he's uh, you know doing all this stuff. Which fun fact by the way, that was the first ce- that was the first scene any of the kids had shot with Bill Skarsgård was that one of mm. all scenes where they're directly talking to each you, other. I guess oh that was gosh. to get to get him to seem the most scared. I don't really yeah. know why they shot it that way, but uh, fun fact. Um, but but the kid is okay. The kid gets away, and, and like that's, that seems unrealistic. So, for the sequel, I'd almost hope they don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you get snagged, you're getting eaten. Like, that's it. You sure. know, like there's there's no safety in being a kid. And to be fair, this movie does not make that claim. Georgie gets eaten. Like, his arm <laughs> gets ripped off, man. Like, eight minutes into the movie, he's like five years old. Like, yeah. it, to, yeah, to be entirely fair, this movie doesn't exactly pull punches. But, um, I I, you need, I need the characters to feel less immune because they have sure. survived and they've made it 27 years. So now that they're back, we need the stakes to be higher, right? Right. That makes no, sense. No, yeah. d-
1: definitely. It's it's got to be, it's got to be darker and more adult. Yeah. The first, this. I mean, I think this is a great uh, kind of children's story or young young adult, um, or adolescent. But yeah, you definitely you got to go into some new territory. Yeah. And, and and I think there's a lot of ways to do that it doesn't just have to be more violent or or darker there's it but it, like it has to be more redata, relatable for adults just like the first one is relatable for kids. Right.
0: And it it doesn't I don't know. There's some there's some surprising like laughs in this movie? Yeah. Like surprising laughs, not only just just like Finn Wolfhard's character Richie saying stupid things, but like <laughs> there's a great like new kids on the block drop yeah in the middle of this movie. out of nowhere and it works yeah. so well or a bit where they get in a rock fight rock war I think they say yeah. it, which comes immediately following a goofy scare which is Pennywise holding an arm. Which comes up later, by the way. I, for, I forgot about that. There's definitely a throwaway line where they're like, "They found some kid's arm by the lake." Oh, I missed that. Yeah, and that it, definitely comes yeah, up. Yeah. There, so
1: there's a lot of important details in the dialogue. There's
0: a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of subtleties going on in the dialogue if you really tune in and listen. Um, they, they don't throw away a lot of lines. Uh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know what's gonna happen with the next one. So far, I, I really like the cast. I, I'm really intrigued to see what they do with it. I, I'm I'm afraid it's not gonna catch the lightning in the bottle this one felt like. But upon a second rewatch I realized that maybe it wasn't so much lightning, maybe it was just really, really good filmmaking. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't something like baby drive, it wasn't like I've never seen this before. I think I think I had seen stuff like this before, and things like Stranger Things or even older horror. It's got a good postmodern spin on it, but At the end of the day like this is just what this is what good filmmaking is all about i think yeah like you you work hard you put in the time and you make a good movie and it shows
1: so yeah yeah what what you also have to remember is you know so this takes place in 1988 um so pre-internet pre-cell phones and where the new one it chapter two will be around 2015 so it's going to be in the modern era and so that i'm interested to see how you bring how you update pennywise how you bring him into the age of technology and information sure
0: and maybe you don't like maybe maybe that 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 uh, old school pennywise look is part of like the charm yeah um but
1: yeah yeah. like i i am there's a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunity i think at the same time
0: right my my least favorite thing to have to worry about in a film uh, of a horror film is why aren't they on their phones calling for help yeah and that this movie is probably going to have to address that at some point. And like, I hope it's smart enough to figure out a way not to, to to figure out a way to ride around it, or I don't know, you know, like some kind of something besides. Oh, we're in the sewer and our phones don't work down here. Like, come on, yeah. there's, there's got to be something better. Um, you got to be smart. And and this movie certainly paves half the driveway, right? Yeah. You just got to get. You just got to get over the finish. So, that's it. Any other thoughts?
1: Uh, the last thing I guess is that this is part of, one of the films that has kicked off the uh, Stephen King assance that we're experiencing Big right time. now. We, he's got a lot of other films, uh, other properties that are being made or remade. Uh, so it'll be exciting to see those things come to fruition, and this has set the bar pretty high.
0: Yeah, and and they're all made by different freaking studios. So there won't be any one Stephen King averse which kind of bums me out, honestly. Like I, that could be cool. Um, especially if it was made uh, in the direction of something like this. Um, It's going to be all over the place. Everybody's going to do their own thing. They're going to milk it dry, just like in the 80s and 90s, and uh, we're going to get a bunch of Stephen King movies, but uh, hopefully they go more like this and less like The Dark Tower. Yeah. Um, Hopefully they draw some inspiration, and and hopefully they're just as well packaged as this one because it is worth your time. So, yeah. Uh, Andy, would you recommend it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if you're a fan of horror, fan of the 80s, a fan of those, uh, early Spielberg films, uh, like the Goonies and E.T. that I mentioned before. Um, if horror is not your thing, I mean, it is pretty scary, especially if you've never seen it before. I mean, my theater was, everyone was terrified. Um, and I I remember I saw it a second time in theaters about a week later, uh, with a different friend and I forgot, I'd forgotten about half the scares and I got scared <laughs> all over again. Um, so it, it definitely I mean it's very adult it, it is violent it is graphic um, and it deals with some heavy stuff so it's I mean I would recommend it to most people I mean uh, unless you're just really terrified of horror which some people are <laughs> yeah uh, I, I
0: really dig this movie it was one that I, I was traveling over the weekend and, and Christine was like you already saw it just just go see Sicario 2 and phone it in. I was like, no, I, I do genuinely want to watch it again. Like, I yeah. did like it. Like, I, I it was one that I looked forward to watching on the show. Um, I, I it's a cool flick, man. It's one that like I not only would I recommend uh, to to horror fans or really fans of just film in general, um, just to kind of see how how well it's made and how well the dialogues put together and how these characters interact with each other and good casting, and direction. Anyway, um, it's it's one of those movies. Like, if I see it on on a on a shelf for ten bucks one day on Blu-ray, I'll probably be like, yep. Give me, give me a copy of It. Like, it's a cool movie. Like, it's I, I enjoy it. I, I'd be happy to put it on the shelf with everything else. So, that's It. Worth your time. It's on HBO. You can check it out. That being said, that just about wraps our show. Thanks for listening. Before we go, we need to talk about how you can get a hold of us, which is at our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. You can leave a comment. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. I think we're on Instagram, too. Uh, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. And as for next week, we are seeing two particular films in theaters. Just change. Uh, one of them is my fault. Apologies, but you agreed to do it, so I don't feel guilty. Uh, <laughs> the first one is. I don't have my notes up. Ant Man and the Wasp. Ant Man in the Wasp. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Andy, for the assist. Uh, and the other is won't you be my neighbor the mr rogers documentary we're finally gonna see it it's gonna happen uh i hope you can find a place to go see it i found
1: a place yeah yeah there's lots of showings
0: uh do i need to watch and this is a good tip for anybody uh do you think i need to watch the first ant-man first
1: probably not marvel films do a good job of catching you up if you've missed something yeah i mean it's the origin story it if you want to look up the synopsis, it it's not crucial.
0: I know Ant Man. It probably like like the other Marvel films, though. It probably has like a certain tone about it and a certain yeah. like. I really like it. It's
1: really funny. Yeah, okay. It's funnier so maybe than I should most. Check it out. And I mean, Marvel's already funny. It's funnier than most Marvel movies.
0: Cause like Sicario, like since you've seen the first one, I guess I wouldn't mind seeing this one without it for the for the change in perspective, but. At the same time, uh, I do want to be prepared, and I want—I don't want to go in feeling like, "What the hell did I just watch?" You know, like it, it does build on what came before. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Either way, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" The Mister Rogers documentary—it's gonna be a—it's gonna be a tearjerker. I know it. It's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. For all, from all of us here at Offscript, uh, I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. The Home, a bold cinema. Thanks for watching.